Well, I want to take a moment and welcome everyone to the Greenwood Campus and the Banta Campus if you're watching at Banta. So how's everybody doing? Pretty good? Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, we are in a series right now um, called Walls, and we started it last week. And the idea behind this series is that there are walls in our lives that need to be jumped over, that need to be broken down, and that need to be built up. And so last week, we started this series by talking about three specific walls that we need to hurdle in our life. We talked about the wall of past failures. We talked about the wall of fear. And then we also talked about the wall of difficult circumstances. And we talked about how the solution to jumping over those walls in our life was trusting God. And what we said, if you remember, if you were here last week, we said that what that really looks like is fixing our minds on what God has said, who he is, and what his purpose is for our life. So hopefully this week you were able to do some of that and put that action step uh, into place in your life and hurdle some walls. Anybody have some experience with that? Exciting stuff? Yeah? You jump some fear? Anybody jump over some difficult circumstances? Hopefully you did. If you missed that talk last week, uh, go back and watch it, and I promise it'll be a blessing to you. So today, what do we want to talk about today? We want to talk about some walls today that they don't need to be jumped. They need to be broken down. I'm talking about annihilated. I'm talking about blown up, take some dynamite to it, light the fuse, you know, just they, they, they're just things that need to disappear in our life. And I can't start talking about uh, walls coming down without referring to the story uh, in, uh, in the book of Joshua chapter 6, where it's probably the best story uh, of all in the Bible about walls coming down. And if you've read the Bible before, you know a little bit about it. I'll give you, I'll give you the, the, quick, the quick of it. The idea, and I mentioned this last week about God and Joshua. God told Joshua to, you know, kind of go into the promised land. He took over from Moses. And, and as he was going into the promised land, he said, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because I'm going to be with you. So don't give in to fear. Um, but then Joshua comes to a city called Jericho, and Jericho had some serious walls around it, okay? Back in those days, the walls of a city were the main, you know, the main defense of a city. There were no airplanes that can fly over and drop bombs. So, you know, if you had some pretty thick walls, you can pretty much keep the enemy out. 
And so Jericho had these huge walls, and, and, but God told Joshua, hey, I'm going to give Jericho to you. And so he gives him some specific instructions. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take seven of the priests, and I want you to march around the city once a day for six days in a row. And I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, which was the place where God would dwell. And, and I want you to just go around the city. And, and then on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. And on the, on the seventh time, I want you to blow the horns and everybody shout at the top of their lungs. And the walls are going to collapse. They're just going to come down. And so, and so this is this is like a crazy idea. I mean, I, I I don't know how trumpets and voices you know make walls collapse, but this we're talking about God here. So Joshua basically does what he's told, and he you know has everybody do that for six days. On the seventh day, they march around, and I want to show you what happens in Joshua chapter six, verse twenty. Suddenly, as they as they blow the trumpets, as they're on their seventh lap, suddenly the walls of Jericho. Say it with me, they collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Can I tell you something today? There are some walls in your life that need to collapse. They don't need to be jumped. They need to come down in our lives. Here's why. Because if, if they don't come down, if they aren't destroyed, if they aren't annihilated, they're going to stop you from moving forward in your life. They're going to stop you from moving forward in your marriage if you're married. They're going to stop you from moving forward in relationships. And we all have relationships. They're going to stop you from moving forward in your relationship with God and your relationship with Christ. They're just going to, they're going to, they're going to prevent you from becoming the man or the woman that God has created you to be. They're going to stop you from becoming the parent that you were created to be and reaching your full potential at work or whatever area of your life. These walls need to be blown up in our life. They need to collapse. And if they don't, we will not move forward in our lives. So let's talk about some of these walls that need to collapse in our life. The first one right here is going to be the wall of je jealousy. The wall of jealousy. Man, jealousy is, is a dark emotion. Anybody struggle with jealousy here today? Jealousy is one we don't want to admit to because it's ugly. Have you ever noticed how natural jealousy is? Well, before we get there, what is jealousy anyway? Isn't it this feeling that, that uh, I don't know, of maybe resentment or dislike because someone else has something that you wish you had? Or, or someone has, has got, got the promotion that you wish you had, had gotten? Isn't that what jealousy is? When, when, you, when you're kind of looking at someone else's success and you're kind of like, oh, why do they get to do that? Or why does she have that? Or why does he have that? Or why did they get that? Right? Isn't that what jealousy is? We're, we look at someone else's success and we feel badly. It's an ugly emotion. It's so natural, though. Anybody raising children? Like, we'll sit down at the dinner table and, you know, someone will call for our oldest and say, hey, can, can, can he sleep over? And, you know, and that's kind of a fun thing for kids, especially in middle school, right? And so, you know, my, my, my oldest has some good buddies, and they hang out, and they play ball together, and they sleep over each other's houses, no problem. And inevitably, our other two will sit there and say, well, now, why does he always get to do that? I mean, I never get to sleep over my friend's house. Don't you hate that word, never? How about the word always? They're never true. I mean, but, but my kids use them all the time. I never get to do that, really. What about last week on Tuesday when you did the same exact thing, right? 
And, and, it, and it's just this natural thing that my, my kids, and I, I always throw them under the bus, but I do love them. They're great kids. They really are. But they're kids, little sinners. So, so, the, the, so we'll be sitting here at the table, and it's like, and it's like you know, one is getting jealous of the other, and, 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 you know, because he gets to do this or she gets to do that. And, and uh, what I'll have to do, and, and sometimes I do this better than other times, but I'll have to say to them, now, hold on a second. Now, you love your brother, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think. How come, you, how come you don't say something like this to your brother? Man, that's so exciting. Like, are you excited about sleeping over? Billy's house? What movie are you going to watch? Because I know you're going to watch a movie. Are you guys going to play two-on-two basketball? Are you going to throw the Frisbee? Are you going to play video games? You, I bet you are. You, I'm so excited for you. I say, now how come, how come you can't say that to your brother? See, my wife and I are baffled. We've never taught our children how to be jealous. But it comes so naturally. Isn't that crazy? I asked you a few moments ago if you struggle with jealousy. Not many of you raised your hands. I don't blame you. It's an ugly emotion. It, it, it's not profitable. It hurts. It damages relationships. It's a wall. It's a wall in our life. It doesn't need to be jumped. It needs to be destroyed. It needs to be taken out. Did you know that the number one cause of spousal murder is jealousy? Yeah. Number one cause of spousal murder is jealousy. It's a dark, dark emotion. Remember, remember um, the lady, the astronaut lady? What was her name? Leah Novak, I think. Marie Leah Novak or Lee Maria Novak. Professional, perfect record, intelligent. She spent time in space. She got caught up in a love triangle with another astronaut. She drove 900 miles across the country and had murder weapons in the, in the car. You think, what's that all about? Jealousy, whoa. It, it, it can get smart people, educated people, uneducated people, people of any color, any size. Jealousy, wow, it, it causes us to do crazy stuff. It's, it's a dark emotion, and, and it must be eradicated and destroyed. Do you know that uh, social uh, media experts now have, a, have an, a name for this? Well, you know, on, on social media, they call it Facebook Envy. One out of every three Facebook users, social media users, Instagram users, all these people report that after they use their Facebook for two hours or so, they, they say they're less happy. Why is that? You tell me. You're scrolling through pictures of people's happy, perfect lives. All edited it, you know. Like I remember one time my son threw up all over the living room carpet. I mean, chunks and everything, just right there. I was so mad. Because you, I mean, I didn't take a picture. Of, my wife did not take a picture of that and put it on Facebook. She didn't. She didn't. See, we don't put those pictures on Facebook. We put the pictures where everybody's like, everybody's tan and, you know. It's fake. It's a fake world. You know it. You know it. And that's why when people are on there and they're looking at everybody's perfect life and they compare their life to their life and, like, my life sucks. Compared to this, Facebook envy. Interesting. There's a story in the Bible about the damaging effects of jealousy. A guy named Saul, king, king of Israel, um, he's got this guy that he's just found out about, really, 
who, who did this incredible thing. He killed this giant named Goliath. His name was David. And, and he was like a, a young kid, and, and Saul kind of was like, wow, this, this kid's amazing. So he brings him into his, his kind of his close-knit family, and his son Jonathan becomes David's, you know, good friend. And, and David ends up becoming this, this warrior in Saul's army, and, and Saul promotes him because every time, you know, he, he'd be successful in mil- military campaigns. And then one day after David came back from, a, from defeating the Philistines, there's some, some ladies began singing a song in 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is the song. Listen to this, verse 7. Saul, that's, that's, that's the king, that's him. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, when Saul hears this song, th- th- these good feelings towards David that, I mean, he's promoted this guy. He's, you know, he, this is the guy who killed Goliath. All of Israel loves David. All of a sudden, all these good feelings shift towards something else. He begins to get jealous. Listen to what happens. <clears throat> Next verse. What's this, he said? They credit David with tens of thousands and me with thousands. Next thing you know, they're going to be making this guy the king. Next verse. So from that time on, Saul kept a, say it with me, eye on David. Wow. It totally shifted. His, his, his goodwill, his affection for David, the fact that he had become his son's best friend mattered nothing at all. And now he was jealous of David. And then that jealousy led to him trying, uh, led to him to uh, try to kill David at least twice with his own hands. He threw his javelin at David, didn't succeed. And then he went on this military campaign and he chased David all over <laughs> God's creation, didn't succeed. And here, here's what's crazy about jealousy, and the reason why it has to, it, one of the reasons it has to be blown up in our lives, because jealousy, you know, causes us to make stuff up in our head. It causes us to create and imagine stories that are really not true. You see, David had no intention of stealing the kingdom away from Saul. David actually was the opposite. He loved Saul. He wanted to honor Saul. He, he wanted to protect Saul. He, he, he loved the king. He wanted to serve the king. But in Saul's mind, because of his jealousy, he came up with this big story and this big idea that David wants to take my kingdom away. And therefore, I need to kill him and wipe him out. It's madness. That's what jealousy will do. Jealousy is so dark and twisted and from the devil that it will cause you to imagine things that are not true. It must be blown up. We're going to talk about how to blow that up today. You, you interested in how to blow jealousy up in your life? I hope you are. But let's talk about two other walls really quick. The second wall I want to talk about today is the wall of hate. The wall of hate. Now, I know no one see here is going to raise their hand and say, man, that's one I struggle with. I just hate people. <laughs> so I'm not even going to ask you that. But I do know it happens, and, and normally it happens when people do something to us that we think is terribly wrong. Isn't that true? Somebody wrongs us in a way that we think is so inappropriate and so wrong, or they wrong somebody that we love, that if we're not careful, that our response to what happened will turn into hatred. I just have to show you a picture of a person. You'll get the idea of what I'm talking about here. This guy right here, Adolf Hitler. You get, a, you get, a, you get hatred personified. It's just this... This feeling that he had that the Jews were responsible for all of the German problems after World War I. They were the problem. 
and he had hatred in his heart. One word, holocaust, captures the results of where hatred can go in this world today. So, oh, that wouldn't, that would never happen to me. I mean, I'm not going to be the next Adolf Hitler. Maybe not, probably not. But it doesn't mean that hate cannot get lodged down in your heart and produce devastating results in your life. It could be a huge wall in a marriage between a parent and you, between a sibling and you, between a coworker and you. Huge wall in our lives. In the Bible, there's a story about the, the, the terrible consequences of hate. It's a story about two brothers, Absalom and Ammon, both sons of King David. Both had a father who loved God and worshipped God and was a great example for them to follow. One day, one day Ammon decided he wanted to rape his sister Tamar, who was also David's daughter. And so he did. He went through with the plan, raped his sister, Tamar. Absalom found out about it. And something happened inside of his heart. Look with me in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 13. And though Absalom never spoke to Ammon about this once he found out, he, say it with me, hated Ammon deeply because of what he had done to his sister, Tamar. He hated him. He let this event, this was so wrong, this was so sinister, it was so evil, that, that he let hatred get lodged in his heart. And for two years, he did nothing. He just let it build and build and build and build in his heart. Until one day, he came up with a plan. When all the dust had settled, he invited all of his brothers to his house and had a big banquet, and he told his assistants, he said, when Ammon gets drunk, when, when he's had a lot to drink and he's not paying attention, assassinate him. And sure enough, Absalom's assistants did just that, and they killed Ammon. You see where hatred leads? It leads to destruction and devastation. And, and, and here, you may never kill somebody, and I hope you never do, and I hope I never do. But here's what, here's what else could happen when you hate somebody. You can begin to abuse. It opens up the door for abuse when you hate somebody because you don't care anymore. And you can now do whatever it is that you want to do because you don't care about that person and their feelings and their heart. Because after all, look what they did. And so you can just do anything you want to them, and you're kind of glad when bad things happen to them. Oh, it's, a dark, it's a dark emotion. It's a wall that needs to be destroyed in our life, not something that needs to be jumped, completely annihilated. How do we get rid of it? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let's talk about this third wall real quick, the wall of pride. This one is thicker and higher and wider than perhaps all of them, the wall of pride. Pride says, I don't need you. I got this. Pride says, I'm better than you, smarter than you. I don't need you. In fact, I don't, not only do I not need you, I don't even need God. I can do this by myself because I got it. I'm smart enough, quick enough, fast enough, better than you. I'm superior than you. And pride looks down on people. And that's why it's a huge wall. Why, why is pride a wall in our lives? For two reasons. Number one, it cuts us off from, it cuts us off from getting help from other people. You ever notice that? If I think I have it, if you think you've got it all together and you don't, you know, you can run things on your own, are you going to ask for help from anybody else, yes or no? Yeah, you're not. In fact, when a proud person does need help, do you want to help them? Come on, talk to me. When a proud person needs help and they've come to the end of their rope, and you know they've been going at it all by themselves, and you, you know they think they're smarter than you, and all of a sudden you're in a position to help a proud person. Are you, like, are you like itching to like help them? Hey, I'll be right there. Nope, you're not. 
So your proud person cuts themselves off from the help of others, but, but more importantly, they cut themselves off from the help of God. See, the Bible says that God resists the proud. He cuts off the proud. He says, oh, you want to do this by yourself? <laughs> created one, creator, created one, creator, created one. You want to do this without me? Okay, go ahead. And he leaves us to our own devices. And he stops giving us the help and the assistance and the grace that we so desperately need in our lives. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a king in the Old Testament that went down this road. He started out great. His name was King Uzziah. He became the king of Israel at 16 years old. He had this mentor named Zechariah who was pouring into his life. And the Bible says that as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God helped him to prosper. He built towns and walls and towers, and he had an army of over 300,000 soldiers to fight against his enemies. His fame spread throughout all the land. And then something happened to him. Watch this in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Chapter 26, sorry. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Let me, let me share with you what's going on here. He was so powerful politically that he just figured, I can do anything. In fact, I can do, the, I can do what, this, what the priests do. See, only the priests were allowed to go into the temple and light incense and serve the Lord that way. But he became so arrogant and so proud because he was so successful in all the areas of his life politically that he just thought, well, I can do that too. And so the priests go running in. They tell him, hey, you can't do that. You're not a priest. This is the job of those who have been anointed by God. And so, so Uzziah turns around. He gets angry at the priest. And in that very moment of his anger, leprosy sprouts on his head. Just out of nowhere, just right on his head, just right on his forehead. And he became a leper for the rest of his life. And he had to give up his royal duties as king because of his leprosy. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is, say it with me, proud. Pride cuts me off from the help of other people. It cuts me off from the help of God. God will not have it before a person is destroyed, the heart is proud. Here's what C.S. Lewis said about this in his fantastic book, Mere Christianity. He's actually got a whole chapter on pride. It's called uh, the, the Great Sin. Listen to what he says here. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, as long, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Wow. Pride cuts us off from the help of others, and from the help of God. We've got to destroy this wall, or this wall will destroy us. So what's the answer? How do we, how do we destroy these, these walls, this wall of hate, this wall of pride in our life, this wall of jealousy? How do we blow it up? I'm so glad that you're asking. Here's the answer. You ready? The answer is very simple. It's a Sunday school answer. So like last week, you're probably going to be a little annoyed with me, but that's okay. I want to explain it. The answer to blowing up these walls is twofold, to love God and to love people. To love God and to love people. That's the answer. That's how you blow up these walls in your life. Let me, let me show you what Jesus said one time when asked about what's the most important commandment, what are the most important commandments ever. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 22. He says, the first one is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now watch this. Look, he gives us another one. 
And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the next verse, in verse 40, Jesus says something very important. He says, upon these two laws hang all the rest of the laws. How does he say it? He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What does that mean? He means basically this. If you obey these two commands, all other problems will take care of themselves. Like these two commands sum up everything. Now, there were 616 laws. That's a lot of laws, don't you think? But if people could just get these two, to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves, all of the others will work themselves out. Isn't that interesting, what Jesus says here? How does that work? Well, I don't have time to go into too deep into the first one. I want to focus on the second commandment. But let me just mention the first one. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Here's what happens. All of a sudden, this God of love comes down and enters your heart. And his love is lavished upon us, and his love fills our heart. Now we have not just our own love to give out, but divine love to give out. Okay, so I, I could preach a whole sermon on that, but I, 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 I want to focus on the second command. But we're talking about divine resources here, okay? We're not talking about mustering up our own love. We're talking about divine love. When I choose to reach out to God, his, his love flows down into me. And then as a conduit, I'm a conduit of him, and you are too as we, as we dish it out to other people. Another sermon for another day, but I want to talk about the second commandment because I believe this is the commandment that will help us blow up these walls. Love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting. In Luke chapter 10, there's a guy who said to Jesus, hey, how can a person inherit eternal life? How does that work? Jesus says, well, what does Moses say? And the, guy, the guy comes back and says, well, Moses says to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, great, go do that and you'll have life. Then the guy pushes back one more time on Jesus and says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes into this little dialogue, this little story. He says, well, one day there was a guy walking down the road. He gets beat up and left for dead. He gets mugged. And along comes a religious guy, or along comes a religious guy sees this guy bleeding, dying. He walks right on by. Another religious guy comes by, looks at the guy. He's bleeding and dying, walks right on by. Then a third guy comes by. He's a half-breed. He's half-Jewish, half-something else. He stops, Jesus says. He gets down, he puts olive oil on the guy's wounds, and he wraps, his, wrap, wraps up his, uh, his wounds, picks him up, puts him on the donkey, takes him into town, and puts him in the inn. And then as he's leaving, he says, look, here's some money for, for what this costs you, and, 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 and if he has any other bills, when I'm back in town, I'll pay those bills too. And he goes on his way. Then Jesus says to this guy, which of the three loved his neighbor as himself? And of course, the guy says, well, the one who showed mercy. You can read it later in Luke chapter 10. So from that little story, here's what I gather. Here's what I gather. Love is doing what's best for somebody. That's what love is. In our world today, we get, we get love mixed up with lust and feelings of romance. <laughs> I know I did. When I was in college, I looked, my, looked at my, my to-be wife, <laughs> and I was like, wow. I was smitten, right? She was beautiful, long legs, beautiful blonde hair. I thought it was love. You know, it wasn't love. Probably a mixture of lust and something else. I don't know. Now, 15 years later, that's grown into love when you try to raise three kids together and, you know, you're 38 years old now. Things don't look as good as they used to look. On me. <laughs> On me. Not her. Some of you have weird minds. I wasn't going there. 
Listen, listen, the romance, <laughs> if you think love is romance, you got another thing coming. Okay? Love is not romance. Are you kidding me? Love is a choice to do what is right for the other person. That's what Jesus meant when he said the third guy got down and he did what was best for that man on the ground. He helped him up. It's not a feeling. He's doing what's right for the other person. So how, do, how does this connect with the second commandment? Jesus says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. And when I look at that commandment, I, look, I, I see what Jesus is saying. He says, you want to know how to love people? Just take a quick peek at how you love yourself, and then you'll find out how to love other people. And when I do that, and when you do that, here's what you're going to find. That you do what's right by yourself, even when you don't like yourself. Some of you need to write that down because it's good. Let me say it again. You do what's right for yourself even when you don't like yourself. See, there are a lot of things I don't like about me because I'm, I'm a reflective type of person, and I see my own sins, and they, they, I, I'm, I'm, sometimes I, I reflect on who I am, and I'm like, man, I don't like me. And if you did some of the stuff that I did, I wouldn't like you either exaggeration, insecurities, ego and pride, or whatever those, I look at those things and go, ew, ew, but I still do right by me. Let me give you an example. The other day, the, my car battery went dead, three kids in the back seat, right? 8.30 at night. I'm sitting there going, man, this isn't good. I know what I'll do. I'll go inside, and I'll get on the phone, and I'll start talking to people. Who has jumper cables? Who has jumper cables? Who has jumper cables? Oh, you know, yeah, I'm outside. The van's battery's dead. Would you help? Sure, no problem. Come on out. Boom, boom. One thing leads to another. The car is zapped, and however that works, and we're on our way. Right? I did right by Danny Anderson. I took care of Danny Anderson. What I, here's what I didn't do. I didn't sit back and go, you know what? Say 30 at night. Got three kids in the back seat. Battery's dead. You deserve this. You need to sit here. I know you're hungry. I know you got kids in the back, but, but you're gross. You've done things in the past. You're a bad person. I didn't do that. I went right into action. I thought, what's best for Danny Anderson? I know. I'll solve his problem. <laughs> and I'll get him home so he can... Get his kids in bed and have a little snack before dinner, uh, before bed. Right? Jesus says, hey, hey, did you see it? Love your neighbor that way. Love your neighbor that way. Even when you don't like what they have done, even when you don't like them, do what is right for them. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when you do that, where, where, does, where does jealousy fit? When you do that, where does hatred fit? When you do that, where does pride fit? They have to leave. They have to go. When you, when you do what's best for your neighbor, there's no room for jealousy. In fact, in your notes, this is the way I wrote it. The walls of jealousy, hate, and pride are destroyed through love. They're destroyed by simply loving your neighbor as yourself. Because what does that mean? It means to do what is right for your neighbor regardless of how you feel because that's how you love yourself. You see what I'm talking about? You take care of yourself. You clothe yourself. You feed yourself. Even if you don't like yourself, just do that for your neighbor. See, when you do right for your neighbor, right, when you do right for the person in your life, 
whatever it is that they need. That's love, right? And so when they have something exciting happen in their life or they get a raise or they, or they, they uh, I don't know what it is, they get some promotion or, or, or something, they buy a car, a nicer car than you or they, have a, they get a better house than you or whatever. Instead of you thinking, well, why don't I get that stuff, which is jealousy, right? All of a sudden, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're, you now celebrate for them. You see that? Because you want what's best for them. You're excited for them. There's no room for jealousy. Let's talk about hatred for a second. By the way, before we move on to hatred, that's why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13. He said that love is not jealous. Why is love not jealous? Because you are celebrating for that other person. You are excited for that other person. You are not jealous over what they have or what they've achieved. Now, let's talk about hatred, for example. How does love destroy hatred? Hatred. Jesus said it this way. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, how in the world are you supposed to love your enemies? These are people that have done things wrong to you. These are people that you're supposed to hate, right? He flips it upside down and says, love them. Well, how do you do that? Again, the way that you love your enemies is just simply doing right by them. Just simply doing what is best for them. It has nothing to do with feelings or emotion. In fact, you can still really dislike your enemies and do right by them. (laughs) In fact, you're not allowed to hate your enemies if you're a Christ follower. You can tweet that later. You won't get a lot of retweets, but... (laughs) You are not permitted to hate your enemy in, in, in any situation in life. You are called to love your enemy. And the way that you find out how to do that is just by looking at your own situation. You love yourself even though you have done some things very wrong to other people. Just do that to your enemy. And you will blow up the wall of hatred in your life. A lot annihilate it. Let's talk about pride. How does love destroy pride? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, he simply said this, that love is not proud. It does not boast. How does that work? Well, when I'm loving somebody, I'm looking out for what's best for them. I'm trying to do what's best for them, what I think is best for them, right? And my focus is where? My focus is on what is best for them. Now, a proud person, where's their focus? Isn't it upon themselves? Isn't it upon what you think about them and what they think about themselves? There, proud people are constantly thinking about number one, and they're constantly talking about number one, which is them. But when you choose to love, you are, you are choosing to think about the other person. You are choosing the path of humility. You are choosing to raise up others above yourself. You are choosing to, to prefer others above yourself, which is what the Bible speaks of all over the place, to prefer others and think of others. Well, guess what happens when you take the path of humility, which is the path of love? Now, you're, now the door is opened up to get help from people and from God. Because now as you take the path of humility, you're asking questions. You're saying, hey, what do you think? How, did I do that okay? You know, how's it going in my life? You're open to feedback. Why? Because you're humble. So you get help from people, and then all of a sudden you get help from God. You say, God, I don't have it all together. I, everything I have is a gift from you. Uh, am I doing this right? And the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, and you start to receive help from him. And you blow up the wall of pride through love. Does that make sense? These are walls that they don't need to be jumped. They need to be destroyed. And the way to destroy them is through love. And what does that look like? It looks like loving people the way that you love yourself. And what does that mean? That you're doing right. You're doing what's best 
for that person at any given time. Now, I hope that you'll take that and you'll run with that because it'll change your life. Let me close by talking about a wall in our lives that needs to be destroyed and has been destroyed. It's the wall of sin. It's the wall of death. It's the wall of separation between us and God. And what's, what's interesting is that that wall has not only been jumped, we talked about that last week, that wall has been destroyed. And you know what it was destroyed by? It was destroyed by love. Listen to what Jesus said. These are words from his own mouth. He said, there's no greater, say it with me, love than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus is simply saying, look, I allowed myself to be crucified. I allowed myself to be punished for the sins of all mankind because I love you. I died on the cross and bore your sins and paid the penalty for your sins because I loved you. In another passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul explains it this way. He says, but God demonstrated his love for us so that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was, the, it was the love of God that destroyed the wall of sin and death that separated us from God. And when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, in fact, the, the Apostle Paul said it, this, said it this way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What does that mean? It simply means that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he died for you on the cross and that he rose again the third day, you can have your sins forgiven and you can receive eternal life and begin walking with God right now and forever. And that is the gift of eternal life. Jesus destroyed that wall by dying on the cross. He destroyed that wall because he loves you. Will you receive that gift by faith today? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If that's you right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head and express your faith in Christ right now and receive his gift of mercy and love. Say these words to him right now. He's listening. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you did it because you love me. I believe your death was enough to cover my sins, to break down the wall between you and I. I place my faith in you. I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. Make me your child. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer our church would love to put a Bible in your hands. It's a one-year Bible. It's, it's a New Testament. Here's why this is so special. It is to me. I read, these, I read this every single day. I have for years, these same passages. This little one-year New Testament is broken up into five-minute readings. And it's so important for you to take God's word into your heart because as you do, here's what happens. As you do, God begins to speak to you and guide you and instruct you and show you what he's like and show you, show you what you are need to be like and what path you need to take in your life. So if you just prayed to receive Christ today, there's tables back here to my left and to my right. We'd love to put one of these in your hands as a gift so that you can begin reading the one-year Bible. Let's, let's give God glory today for what he's done. I would love to see you move forward in your life. I would love to see jealousy fall away. I would love to see hate fall away. I would love to see pride fall away. I, I would love it. I would love to, 
to never hear another story about a human being who failed in their life because of pride. I would just love to never hear another story about that. Because you chose to love. You chose to love your neighbor as yourself and do what is best for your spouse and for your children. And you've destroyed those walls in your life. That's my heart for myself, and that's my heart for you. I hope you'll take this today and you'll run with it, and you'll, you'll use love to destroy those walls in your life. Let's pray. God, as we close today, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's, it gives us a clear picture of the problems we struggle with, the issues in our life that can stop us from becoming the people you've called us to become. But you've also given us solutions. You've given us answers, answers to jealousy, answers to hatred, answers to pride, and any other wall that needs to be destroyed in our life. Help us to run with the words of your son, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, next week we're going to be talking specifically about walls that need to be built up in our life to protect our hearts. You're not going to want to miss that. God bless you. We'll see you next week. If you pray to receive Christ, go grab a, go grab a Bible.